Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Horse Show is brought to you by EquestrianCollections.com, featuring the latest collections of top equestrian brands like Asma, Keritz, Iridian, Ovation, and Equine Couture. Shop on Equestrian Collections and you and your horse will always ride in style. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Chris Stafford and my guest this week is Ashley Johnson who is an international event rider and a coach and she's contributed to Wisp Sports in the past with her blogs explaining that to be a good teacher is to be a, a teachable person yourself and why coaching has been her life's calling or at least one of them and it speaks to the conversation that we're going to have today about coaching and whether there is a time when Coaching is too much coaching. Ashley, welcome to the program again. Hi, Chris. Thank you for having me. Well, as I said, when coaching is too much coaching can be something that you can apply to, I think, a lot of sports. But we've seen in equestrian sport generally how often trainers can be very dominant in their role and coaching their athletes, their riders, right up to the end of the arena there and you find that sometimes they, they are talking so much the, the athlete doesn't, the rider doesn't have time to even think and process the last point that they made. I, I want to get your sense of really the culture around this. And if you agree with that very premise, is there a time when coaching is too much coaching? Absolutely. It's interesting because I think there are a number of things that have contributed to this. In the American culture, just as times have changed, we have become much less willing to let our children go off and do things on their own, like, you know, go ride your bike around the neighborhood or go play, uh, just because for, for different reasons, things have become dangerous. They're strangers on the, you know, more strangers. Uh, but it's it's carried over into horses and very few many, many fewer people have backyard horses now. So when children are learning to ride, they right off the bat are in a training type of program. But that also is a, a negative because they don't get the independent time to make their own mistakes. Um, it's, of course, more prevalent in the hunter-jumper world and also in the world of dressage. But it, it's becoming more prevalent in the sport of eventing as well. 
Now, uh, our friend Andrew Nicholson, who needs no introduction to anyone who follows the sport of eventing, recently made that point that the coaches become so dominant. There is an expectation from the the rider that they have to be coached, that they can't do this alone. And it and it comes back to your point about the controlled environment then, that they never go outside of that controlled environment and learn independence and develop a confidence from within. It comes from from someone else, delivering it to them, whichever way you'd like to put it. My One of my great mentors, Lucinda Green, has a phrase that, that she says, you train a general, you drill a sergeant. And she uses that phrase as far as horses, but I actually use that phrase as far as students as well, because they're, um, you know, if you're just being told, do this, do this, do this, do this, you never learn. I think learning in any discipline in any sport is actually a creative process. And if you're just being told, do this, do this, do this, you never have to create your own creative process. I just watched a very interesting TED Talk by Susan Cain the other day, and it was talking about the difference between introverts and extroverts. And one of the points was that creativity is best fostered alone. And I think that that's true with a learning process as well. When I have students come into my program, I don't teach them every day. I mean, there are certain training programs where people want to be taught every day. And I specifically say to them, you're either getting two lessons a week or three lessons a week because the other days, I want you to go and practice on your own and make your own mistakes and have your own thought process. Um, The other thing I was going to say with that is in eventing, people often say to me with my teaching style, that um, I'm that I do coach them to offer them tools, and my perspective on that is that as an event rider, when you're on cross country, you you need to have your own tools. You need to think like a trainer. No matter what, you know, if you're coming from whatever background, when you are on cross country, you have to be able to think in the moment, and you have to be able to make your own decisions. And if you're constantly being told what to do all the time, then you've never had the ability to come up with your own answers and, and solve it on the fly um, while you're while under pressure. So that same concept of not overcoaching, of, of leaving students time to make mistakes and, and fall off or, you know, mess things up or have to get off and put their own rail back up, as Andrew Nicholson said, um, it, it not not just that it makes you want to try harder so you don't have to get off the next time. I think that it makes you better in solve in problem solving on you know, as you're on the fly, as you're competing, um, with with what to do next. And and I know the way that I teach, I constantly ask my students questions. I don't just teach them and leave it at at the end I say, Okay, now what did you learn? What did you take from this? And that's actually another important point um in general when you know every session a person can only take one or two points away from it so if you're being harped at all the time then it's an overload of information so to be an effective teacher you really need to hone in on one or two points per session and i always think that people need to go away and practice those one or two points um, and solidify those points and then come back and, you know, maybe it's, sometimes things take a long time to solidify. But you, if you have 
all these different ideas going on, you're you're not going to be able to improve on the the most important idea at that moment. Now you mentioned there about creativity being best honed when you're on on your own. It's often said that overcoaching can take away the confidence of that athlete and and it doesn't allow for the development of a natural feel and balance and, of course, the all-important independent seat, but also becoming an independent rider. Do you see that happening with other coaches that you watch? Because, of course, everybody is unique in their coaching style too. I do think there's a balance. I think, you know, when I was a child, I never took a coach. I never had the luxury of having a coach at a show. So I, I had to learn a great deal on my own um, about competing. But I also know that when I was able and, and uh, financially able to have coaching at shows, I learned a great deal from having the coach. But it was something that I had earned and I had also been able to, you know, done without it to begin with. So I really appreciated the information that I was getting. Um, I had a student this winter actually who said to me, "She's I have I coached the, the University of Florida eventing team, and one of my students on the team came to me and she said, oh, 'Oh, I'm so grateful because I don't often get coaching at shows, and so I'm really excited to be able to get coaching at shows.' And what we found was at first she actually rode worse because she kind of thought that I was going to give her all of the golden eggs and, and all of the answers. And so she tuned every, all of her instincts out because all she was listening to was me in the warm up saying, you know, go do this, go do that. And there's so many other things as a rider that you have to be aware of. You still have to ride your own ride. You still have to ride your own horse. And, and a trainer at a show is only going to, you know, tune you, but you still have all the other elements that are your responsibility and you have to be accountable for. And so, and she's very intellectual. So I brought this up with her and she was like, you're right. You know, I kind of thought that this would be the the magic answer, but she was listening to me too much. So then I said, I'm not coaching you for the next three shows. And now we found the balance. So I do think that there's a balance on both ends of having too much versus not having anything at all. Uh, Do I see it in my peers? You know, it depends. So I think that it's a personal, I do think that there's, partly a personal journey um but i think that um i would hate to see the eventing world turn into the hunter jumper world i would hate to see it become just like oh you know we need to coach because then we that's how we're making our living i I think that eventing is such a such a special community um that's not it's not driven by the same goals as some of the other uh, horse sports. So I, I hope it doesn't turn into that. But, you know, I don't I don't see it 100% going that direction. But I think culturally, things are going in the direction of people just people parents wanting their kids to have instruction all the time. Because one of the points there that you made about the hunter jumper world and that it, job security really for them is that they want to be indispensable they they don't give the rider a t- chance to be decisive and they don't coach for that independence as well and that's to the detriment of the rider but the rider doesn't know when they're so codependent on the 
on the coach that they would be better off just not spending so much time with the trainer or the coach and and riding more alone it's a catch-22 isn't it Ashley it is a little bit of a catch-22 I hear actually the same comment coming from the dressage world uh, so I don't want to just single out the hunter jumper world both of those sports are done in an arena so I think the safety factor is actually a little bit different than when you're talking about riding in the open. Um, but I sometimes, you know, I'll have students and actually sometimes children and sometimes adults who, who I would say they want to be babysat. They, you know, they just want to be told what to do all the time. And, and it's, it's kind of their personality. And I tend to not, you know, I tend to try and move away from that and make them take more accountability. But I do think that some riders or some athletes prefer that. And so that's okay. But I think that if, you know, you're only going to get to a certain level with that kind of uh, mentality. So I, I try and take the riders that want more and throw them out on their own. But, you know, go, go make mistakes, go do things on your own, come back and, uh, give me feedback and let's see where we are. And even, you know, David O'Connor, when he talks about coaching at national championships, he says he, he hardly, he doesn't instruct. It's more like you guide. You've got at that point, when you're at that point, when you're outside the ring warming up, you're, you're guiding someone, you're not harping on them. You know, you say a little more impulsion, a little more hip swing, um, but you don't want to overload the information. So is it a catch 22? Again, I, I think that, there needs to be a balance and I love that eventing is still a sport that's a rugged sport and, and people, if you're riding in the country, if you're riding down a hill that you have to, the fear of uh, being hurt actually makes riders pay a little bit more attention. So they have to learn how to do things on their own a little bit more. So I, I mean, I don't find in general, I don't find that I get too many students but I do get, that, that want to be told what to do all the time. Um, but, you, you know, you do see it. And I try and say, I'm going to tell you what to do a fraction of the time. And you have to build your own decisions after that. Now, there's the, also that aspect of responsibility that falls on the rider, too. And we are, of course, societally in a blame culture so often and the more coaching the more the coaches involved the more coaching that that uh, athlete that rider has it takes away a little bit their responsibility because at the end of the day if they have a rail down or they make a mistake they can say well the coach told me to do it that way that is true um i think that it, that takes the, the, you have to be skilled as an instructor to put your students in situations where they're going to be successful. I, I remember uh, Bruce Davidson, who's a legend in the sport. He he has incredible ability to put riders in these in, these really difficult situations. And I said to him, I said, Bruce, what happens if somebody gets hurt? And he said, Well, they have to learn to keep doing it. And he told me the story of uh, when Stephen Bradley rode with him and Stephen had had trouble at a certain type of jump that it was like a jump into space with a ditch on the landing and it terrified him and he made him just go out and jump it and jump it and jump it at, at you know a gallop and I know for myself 
there's always, especially with upper level riders, there's always uh, a little bit of a, well, I hope, I hope that we have had our preparation. I hope that we're all on the same page when you send them out to do an exercise where they could potentially get hurt. But, um, that, you know, that's part of the sport as well. And, and you have to have a rapport with your students that, that they trust you and, you know, you trust them and uh, that they understand what the consequences are. So, you know, is it a blame culture? It is a blame culture, but at the same time, um, I don't, I kind of don't buy into that because I think that people need to be accountable for themselves. And so that's always a conversation that I have with my students. Now, the other aspect of this, of course, with today's culture and the pressure that is on young people, the choices that they have to do different sports, different activities as they're going through school. But there's, with that comes the parental pressure that we maybe didn't see in generations past. It's become more prevalent now. Do you find you as a coach are exposed to that at all amongst your community, Ashley, or do you see it elsewhere? I do see that, and I also see um, kids that don't understand, they're just not quite as tough, you know, and they just don't understand the, the time and the dedication put into something that needs to be put into something to create something that's, that is really has depth and, and sustainability. Um, so I think that one, I I, I always have working students and I always have kind of young young adults in my barn coming through my barn and I'm I hope that one of the lessons they leave here with is that you you know it's the it's the daily work it's the daily practice it's nothing is handed to you on a silver platter and if you don't have your foundation solid then nothing is going to come of that um and I, I definitely get parents who, I want to go to this show, I want to go to that show, I want my kid to go to this, you know, go to the AECs and do this and do that. And it, it becomes exhausting because it's all about going to the next show. Um, but again, just my own personal values are so based in training that training, you train so that you can compete and you train so that you can have a personal best. Um so I, I pretty much nip that in the bud uh, to a degree. It depends on the parent. It depends on the kid. Uh, obviously, I want my students to go and compete. But there's a balance between competing all the time and, you know, I'll say, well, we could spend this much money on going to this many shows or we could spend this much money on having, you know, having more lessons and having better quality in the ride. And usually the parents come onto my side, but you know, that's what, or they go find a trainer who's going to say, tell them that what they want to hear. But I would say that in my experience, when you lay it out like that, the parents come onto my side or come onto the, the trainer's side. I think that it's a, it is a negotiation. Some people don't want to compete at all, but some people want to c- compete all the time and not necessarily become better. Right. And that is what driving them is the competition rather than how you get there, the journey uh, and all that goes with it. The other point that uh, came to mind, Ashley, was that some of the younger generation, I'm not saying that 
you know, we can paint this with a broad brush, but there maybe is an element, because they come into the sport in a different way to previous generations, is that they don't fully understand the sport and the parents don't fully understand the sport and the requirements of it to be the kind of rider that will sustain them through life, not just, you know, here today and gone tomorrow. Do you think there's an element of that at all? Well, one thing I was actually also going to say is many times the parents that want the kids to compete a lot are parents who wish they had, it's like they're living out their own competitiveness through their child. So it's parents who would have given anything to have a horse or to have the ability to compete when they were younger. They, so then they are trying to give their child what they had wanted in a way, and but they have kind of a false understanding of, of what the sport is actually about. Um, so yes, the sport, and, and again, because most children at this point don't, didn't start off in their backyard with a pony, whereas most riders my age did, um, and, and at some point having to take care of that pony, uh, now most children start out going to a barn where the horse is cared for, and then you have to learn horse care without initially taking care of your own horse, um, and, and there's, you know, it's a, it's a very complex sport, um, you know, but I think that this carries over into other sports as well. The, the idea of overcoaching and not letting, you know, you think about basketball, you know, or it, it's the 10,000 hours of practice. It's the practice and the, and the good quality practice. And I, I always, always, always go back to that being done partly in solitude, partly from your own desire to improve. And and finally, I've heard it said, you know, in order to make a student independent, the sign of a good coach is how little they have to do for their student. How would you summarize the sign of a good coach, Ashley? I just taught last week at the Area 3 Young Rider Camp, which was wonderful. It was 87, 87 young riders, 87 students coming into and, and being in the sport of eventing in Area 3. And um, we had six coaches total. All, all of the coaches were a really high quality. And Leslie Law taught next to me, you know, an Olympic gold medalist, and he taught next to me uh, for much of the week. And one of the things that really impressed me, he, he impresses me as a coach. He's a very, very good coach. But he gives a lot of theory. Um, and I think that it's important to know, understand why you're doing things as well as just doing them uh, not just, oh, you know, I, oh, I do this, oh, I do that. So, so having that theory creates much more depth at a certain point. When you're younger, you're not ready for the theory. When you're the age of the kids that were in this camp, the theory, I think, is it's an excellent time to bring in that theory and have a deeper understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. That's a very good point. I think a lot of good takeaways there, Ashley. I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation because clearly there's a shifting culture constantly with all sports and the pressure on coaches to deliver and the pressure on the athletes too to deliver and the pressure from uh, their peers and also parents as well. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to convey in the terms of this message, because I think your experience obviously speaks volumes for what a good coach really means and, and what a good rider should listen to. 
Uh, you know, you said you asked just a minute ago, what is the sign of a good coach? And I think that that could be applied to just teaching in general, you know, even in the academic system. I taught a lesson a few weeks ago to a group of riders, and I used an unconventional method. Um, I had the kids take their reins on one side of the horse's neck and jump a show jumping course, and then they had to put the reins on the other side of the neck. And it teaches the rider to balance more and use their feet and their legs more and trust their position more and use their hands less. And in the lesson, uh, the kids, at the end, I said, what did you think of that? And one of the kids said to me, that was the best jumping lesson I've ever had. And as a teacher, that was just, you know, that just lit me up. I was just so excited that um, this had made such a, a light bulb moment. You know, the sign of a good coach is someone who can create a light bulb moment for their student. And then, ironically enough, the, uh, the, the parents, I don't know which parent, but one of the parents I later found out freaked out and complained that I was doing something that was essentially too unconventional. So that kind of made me laugh because um, it, it kind of speaks to what you were saying about that, you know, the parents sometimes, you know, do they know they're not the ones that know that understand the sport um, and understand the process of what needs to be learned. But to me, the sign of a good coach is someone who can create those moments and create that understanding and further the rider's education and then leave it be. And going back to what I said in the beginning, you train a general, you drill a sergeant, the, a student has to be able to think for themselves at the end of the day. That's a wonderful way to sum it up. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us this week and giving us your perspective on coaching. Lots of messages there. We really appreciate your time. Enjoy your summer and your coaching. Thank you, Chris. It's great to speak with you. And you'll find more on the topic of coaches and coaching on our website at wispsports.com. You can also join in the conversation on our social media channels at wispsports. And while you're on the website, be sure to check out all the other conversations around the world of women's sports. And if you'd like to reach us directly here, you can email info at wispsports.com. We always love to hear from you with any questions, comments or suggestions you may have. And don't forget to visit our sponsors at equestriancollections.com. Until the next time, thanks for listening.